Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. For your word, teach us, Lord. We're your students. You're the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1 uh, came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. They came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am, here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went, took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, Jehovah Jireh, as it is said today, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I'll bless thee, and multiplying I'll multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. All right, now, we've been studying in this, this greatest chapter in the book of Genesis, Genesis 22, which is about the trial of Abraham. And here Abraham faced the greatest trial of his life, which came down from God when God said to him, Abraham, do you love me? Do you really love me 
more than, lovest thou me more than your son? And that's the impact of Genesis 22, which is why verse 2 is so pivotal and it's so important in this chapter because to make this verse even more clear, in verse 2, we could just add this statement, do you love me? Do you love me enough to give up? So we could read it in verse 2, we could read it like this and say, and he said, do you love me enough to give up thy son? to give up and take thy son? Do you love me enough to give up thine son, thine only son? Do you love me enough to give up Isaac? Do you love me enough to take whom thou lovest and offer him there in Mount Moriah for a burnt offering on one of the mountains I'll tell you about? So we saw last week when we were looking at this, this was really tough for Abraham. It's hard for him naturally to get this shocking command right out of the blue in verse two that he was to go and kill and burn his son Isaac. And we saw from the first part of verse 3 last week how Abraham focused on what he needed to do that day, one day at a time. And we come now to the last part of verse 3 where it says that he went, after he did all those things, he went unto the place which God had told him. So those words we see when it says there, he went into the place that God had told him, the resolve of Abraham. He's in a state of, of being resolved. He's resolved. He's determined. He's going to obey God. He's going to follow through. What we read there is nothing about any personal conflict that's going on inside of him. We don't see Abraham conflicted. There's just no conflict here. And it's amazing about what's happening here when we look at this because This whole matter of what we're reading about right now is really a very private, it's a very personal matter between God and Abraham. Now, you and I now, we're reading this, and billions of people have read chapter 22, and we all know now what God told Abraham to do. But at the time Abraham heard this, only Abraham knew what God had told him to do. We've got to keep that in mind. He didn't, nobody else knew this. This was something just that God told Abraham. And God did not tell Sarah what he told Abraham, that he was supposed to sacrifice his son. And Abraham was a smart man. He didn't discuss it with Sarah. <laughs> and then he also didn't let his mind run into Tomorrowland and thinking about, you know, well, let's see now. Well, first of all, he didn't say, well, you know, honey, God just told me to sacrifice our son. What do you think? <laughs> and he wasn't thinking in his mind, well, how am I going to return to Sarah if I've got Isaac's blood on my coat? How am I going to do that? Moses' wife said to Moses when she had to circumcise their son, when Zipporah, his wife, had to circumcise their son, it says in Exodus 4.25, then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet, threw the foreskin over Moses' feet. And then she says these wonderful loving words of a wife to her husband. She said, surely, she says, a bloody husband art thou to me. That was her phrase. You're a bloody husband. And then repeated it in the next verse, in verse 26 of Exodus 4. So he let him go. Then she said, a bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. So what was Abraham going to do? He's just thinking, when Sarah would say the same words to Abraham, Abraham, you're a bloody husband to me. You got blood over you, Isaac's blood. So Abraham does not discuss this with Sarah. Abraham does not discuss it with Isaac. 
He didn't go to Isaac and say, now, son, God has asked me to make you a burnt offering. What do you think? You know, <laughs> that was a private matter again between God and Abraham. And Abraham didn't tell you know, anyone else about that. And this time of distress, Abraham didn't go ask anybody else for advice. Well, you know, Abraham didn't go to anybody else, anybody else and say, you know, God has just told me to sacrifice my son. I'm, I'm upset about that. What do you think? You know, he didn't do that. He didn't let his mind run into Tomorrowland by thinking, well, you know, what are the Egyptians going to think? You know, what are the parasites going to think when I, I go sacrifice my son? You know, right after God saved Paul, there was two life-changing truths that God revealed to Paul. He didn't know this before, but it was revealed to him, and he spoke about these life-changing truths, and you might want to turn to it, in Galatians chapter 1, where Paul says, these two truths were revealed to me. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 18, 11 through 18. And here's what Paul said when he's talking to the Galatians. He says, first of all, but I certify you. In other words, I'm going to make this known to you. Brethren, So when he says certify, he says, I'm going to tell you something you didn't know. That the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. I neither received it of or from man, and neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 13, for you've heard of my conversation, you've heard of my lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure... I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion. He's twice he's referred to the Jews' religion. Above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But, he says, when it pleased God, who separated me, took me out of my mother's womb, to call me by his grace, For what purpose? In verse 16, why did God separate Paul from his mother's womb? For what purpose? To reveal, he says. Reveal what? He says, reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. And immediately, he says, immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So he starts off this testimony and he says, I certify you. I'm going to make something known to you. He says, the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. So he said, I want to make known to you that this gospel is not man-made. This gospel was not created by man. It's not after man. And then he says, neither I received it of man, neither was I taught it. So he's saying, man did not give me this gospel. I didn't attend a Bible study or a catechism class and learn this gospel. But by revelation of Jesus Christ, I received the gospel by Jesus Christ revealing it to me, Paul said. I was taught the gospel by Jesus Christ. Now, we can ask the question, how did Paul receive the gospel by Jesus Christ? We can ask the question, how did Jesus Christ teach Paul the gospel? And the answer is through the Bible, through the scriptures. It was Paul's time with the Lord Jesus Christ with an open heart and open scriptures, his private time with God, that he taught him the gospel. I remember how I was saved. We had just been married and everything in my life had transformed, you know, being an only child 
You know, there's only one word in your vocabulary. It's my. <laughs> but there's no concept for our. You know, my wife would always say, you know, he doesn't know how to share. He was an only child, you know. Do you want to share that dessert? No, that's mine. <laughs> so I transformed. I got married from my to our. And all of a sudden, everything was our. And there was one area that needed to be my. And that was meeting with God. So as a good husband, I lied to my wife. And I told her that I had to work two hours extra every day after work, and I'd be coming home late. And really, that wasn't true, because in those two hours, I was looking for God, and I needed alone time, my time with God. So with an open heart, I searched through the Scriptures. And that's how God revealed the Gospel to me. And I saw, you know, that He died as a lamb for my sins. So Paul says, in time past, in the Jews' religion how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. So the Jews' religion, he says, is to persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church of God, he wasted it. So Paul said that before the gospel was revealed to me privately by the Lord Jesus Christ, he was excelling in religion. He was very religious, and he was being religious when he was persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, I profited in the Jews' religion above my equals, in my own nation, and he says, I was more zealous, more zealous than them in keeping the traditions of my fathers. See, that's what Judaism is really based on. Traditions of my fathers. And Paul said that before the gospel was revealed to him privately by the Lord Jesus Christ, he excelled in this religion, and he was exceedingly zealous of the traditions of his fathers. So what Paul was saying was that he knew that if he, in this position, openly proclaimed that he was now a Christian, he'd be signing his death warrant, which he did. So it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. So Paul's saying here that God made him and took him out of his Jewish mother's womb. He was saying that he didn't owe his allegiance to his Jewish mother, but he owed his allegiance to God, who took him out of his Jewish mother's womb. And then Paul said that he was called by the grace of God, and he was not forced by the grace of God. He was called with the grace that he could resist. And he was called, and the choice was Paul's. And what the grace was, was that God revealed to him his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, inside of Paul. He said, his son in me. See, when Paul was called by God, then he revealed to him the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ was inside of Paul. And that was a truth that Paul never got over for all of his life. The wonder of it all. He was always amazed at that, that the Spirit of Christ was inside of him. And he never stopped marveling over that fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, his Holy Spirit of Christ, was in Paul. And because the Holy Spirit of Christ was in Paul, Paul understood that there was no challenge on his personal body and the beatings and so forth. There was no challenge on his soul. There was no challenge on his spirit. That was not a personal challenge on the Holy Spirit of Christ inside of him. See, he had this view in his life this way. And so then he said, and the calling was that I might preach him among the heathen. Now, we say today, well, you know, preach the gospel to the Gentiles, preach the gospel to the nations. That's what we do. You know, let the earth hear his voice. We sing. You know, may the nations hear, may the goyim hear, may the, let all the peoples hear. But you've got to remember that from Paul's day, that was not the view to go to take the gospel to the Gentiles. 
And so this was shocking for Paul, that Paul was being called to repudiate the Jews' religion and the tradition of his Jewish fathers and his Jewish mothers. It was shocking for the rest of the apostles who didn't believe that the gospel should be preached to the Gentiles. And so Paul was like Abraham in this state. He knew that he could not discuss God's call. Abraham could not discuss God's call to sacrifice his son with anyone. That was between him and God. And Paul knew that he could not discuss God's call. He couldn't discuss that he was going to be a Christian with the Jews, but he couldn't discuss with the Christians that he was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He couldn't talk that over with any of the apostles. So what did Abraham do? Kept silent. What did Paul do? Kept silent. I immediately, he says, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Paul said that immediately he resolved like Abraham to keep the matter just between him and God. And he resolved that he, was gonna, he wasn't going to ask anybody what they thought. It was a matter between him and God. And so then he says, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. He said, I didn't go there. And he said, and Paul said, I decided not to go to any of the apostles, not to discuss this with anybody. They'd been called by God, so why didn't Paul just go and discuss it with them? Did he receive the same calling? And now another calling to go to the Gentiles? He didn't, because that was a matter between him and God. So he decided not to talk. So what does he do? I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus, after three years, then I went to Jerusalem to see Peter, stayed there 15 days. So Paul said that he went into Arabia to, da- to Damascus to be away from the Jews, away from the apostles, that'll do it, and he wanted to be alone with God. That's what he wanted to do. And he stayed there alone for three years. But what did he do during those three years besides making tents? So with an open heart and open scriptures, he was alone with the Lord Jesus Christ who retaught him the scriptures who reprogrammed his thinking about all the scriptures. And after that had taken place, then he went up to meet with the rest of the apostles. So the fact is that no one else would have understood Paul. No one else would have understood Abraham had he told anybody else that he was, God called him to sacrifice his son. And if Abraham would have said to Sarah, as we said, God has called me to sacrifice our son, she would have said to Abraham, well, God's told me to sacrifice you first. <laughs> 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 if Abraham had said that, God's told me to sacrifice you. It reminds me of what um, my father and uh, what my father told Dr. Mazur. It was 1959, and my father had his, when he had his first cardiac bypass surgery, open heart surgery, and Dr. Mazur was his cardiologist. I remember my father sitting in the hospital bed at Cedars Lebanon Hospital. Cedars Lebanon was before Cedars Sinai merged, but Cedars Lebanon Hospital in Los Angeles, where my father was practicing there, and so Dr. Mazur was his colleague, his friend. And Dr. Mazur was a little rough around the edges. You know, so the surgery was scheduled for the next morning. So th- there my father was in the hospital bed the night before the surgery. There I was, a nine-year-old kid sitting next to my dad's bed. And Dr. Mazur walks in the door. He was a big man. He was a big man, Dr. Mazur. He walks in the door. He says, well, Eddie, he says, I give you a 50% chance that you'll make it through the surgery tomorrow morning. <laughs> my dad's eyes get really big. <laughs> He says, Herb, I'll give you a 50% chance that I'll be in this hospital bed when you come to get me tomorrow morning. (laughs) If Abraham would have told Isaac, you know, tomorrow morning we're going to leave and we're going to go to a place where we're going to sacrifice you, Abraham. Isaac would have said, you're not going to find me tomorrow morning. (laughs) Abraham just could not discuss this with anyone. It was just something very personal, very intimate, very private between God 
and Abraham, that's all. It was a part of the private life between God and Abraham, which shows that Abraham had a very important private life with God. And for us to see this in this chapter, the depth of the personal private life between God and Abraham, it brings a very challenging question to us. And the question is, how about us? Do we have a meaningful, deep, private life with God like Abraham did, God and no one else? Do we have this private life with God that no one else enters into? I remember one time I was very concerned for a pastor here in the city, and so I went over to his house, and I asked him, I said, you know, can you please describe to me your personal devotional time alone with God? I said, what is that like? Just, just, no, I don't want to know details, but just what is it like? He said, oh, my devotion time with God. He, says, uh, he said that in the morning, every morning, he says, uh, my wife and I sit down together, and we read the Bible together, and we pray together. I said, that's it? Nothing else? That's it. I said, I asked him, did you have any time alone without your wife? You know, not the we, but the my. Time alone. He said he didn't. See, Abraham's devotional time of God was obviously not with Sarah. <laughs> you know, he had a time alone with God. And when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, he didn't want Abraham to share it with anyone else. And the first thing we're tempted to do when God speaks to us, especially if it's something a little disturbing or whatever it might be, is go out and tell everybody, you know, tell everybody. But God wanted this to remain private, individually, between Abraham and God. I remember calling Pastor Jim one morning, and I was telling him about something, and then I happened to mention to him, I haven't had my devotions time yet. I remember Pastor Jim stops the conversation. He says, Tom, like that. I said, yes. And he said, go meet with God now. (laughs) That was the end of the conversation. (laughs) Abraham had a vital life, a life-giving life with God alone. And that made up the core of who Abraham was. Now, we see from the end of verse 3 where it says, and Abraham rose up and went unto the place which God had told him, that sure enough, and Abraham was, we don't see Abraham here, he was not repulsed by God, he was not repulsed at God when God had told him to uh, do a human sacrifice. He was not disgusted or nauseated at God when God had called him to sacrifice his son. He didn't flinch. We don't see him flinching. We don't see him shying away from the call of God to sacrifice his son. We don't see him drawing back, like it says in Hebrews, drawing back from God. We don't see him recoiling. We don't see him balking at God. We don't see any argument with God. We don't see any resistance. We don't see any not-so-lords. Why not? How could Abraham not be repulsed and disgusted and nauseated and flinch and draw back and recoil and balk and argue and resist when God called him to sacrifice his son. What was it about Abraham that made him not do that? What was Abraham's secret? It's the question. Wouldn't it be terrific if we could know what was in Abraham's mind? What was he thinking about that enabled him not to, to resist God when he called to sacrifice his son? It'd be wonderful, and it is wonderful. We're told exactly what was in Abraham's mind. So turn uh, to, to that, Hebrews eleven eighteen through 19. Hebrews eleven eighteen through 19 is so wonderful because it tells us what was in this man's head. What was he thinking? What, where is he going? And to not resist God. And so this is what it says in Hebrews eleven eighteen through 19. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And this is speaking of Abraham accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. 
So the first thing that Abraham did was he focused on God's promise, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So he's walking around, he's saying, God told me, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And he's thinking that that meant that Isaac has to live. So notice the very special word that's used here, that, that what Abraham did is it says the word accounting, accounting. He was accounting. The Greek word here is logizomai, logizomai. It's a financial word, logizomai. It's been translated, the same word has been translated by the word reckon, like you know, when you do finances and you reckon or balance the books. In Romans 8.18, Paul used that word when he said, for I reckon, logizomai, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So the word used here and translated as reckoned has the connotation of a setting up a side-by-side financial record sheet. In this case, Paul is using this word translated as reckoned. He's saying that he has set up this balance sheet. So on one side, he's put down on the balance sheet. Here's all the sufferings that Christians have gone through. Here they all are. He's talked about them in other places. Beaten, forsaken, and so forth. And he calls that sufferings of this present time. And then on the other side of the balance sheet, he puts down the glory, all the glory which shall be revealed in us. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. 